Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the comic book podcast where we read and discuss a graphic novel or collection of comics. I'm your host, Dallas. I'm Alexis. I know y'all missed me. We did, and I'm <laughs> Anne. Uh, we really, we really did miss you. You are the heart of the podcast. Well, that makes y'all feel better. I didn't miss you. <laughs> kidding i was at disneyland yeah i forgot what day was no honestly i wouldn't miss us either if i was at disneyland that's true that was pretty great you were sending me pictures of star wars land or whatever they call it and Mm -hmm. i was so so jealous Mm -hmm. it was pretty great pretty great i haven't been to star wars land ever and i'm the biggest star wars fan yeah lexi lexi brought up we should do it as like our little corporate getaway for the comics collective right off exactly we don't pay taxes, but it's a write-off. <laughs> Just send that into the IRS. They're like, you're not paying taxes for this anyway. So it's like, yeah, but we're still going to write it off. But still, I thought that's what we're supposed to do. Just like how you're supposed to write off or you pay taxes for your illegal doings. I think that's so funny. Your illegal oh, read- doings? Yeah, if yeah you, you like have to pay sell taxes. drugs, you have to pay taxes on that yeah, money. because it's still income. So... <laughs> What a bunch of bastards. That, is, a, that is bastard behavior. It was hilarious. I laughed for a good 20 minutes about it the other day. <laughs> anyway. Do I sound quiet to you guys? You sound like a wee church mouse. Wait, really? I'm Compared really to normal. Compared you're to normal, a little yeah. quieter. This is very strange. Okay. Hmm. Is that better? Rumble, this rumble, is good rumble. radio. Is that better? I, I think you sound, like, not loud, but you sound fine. Yeah, you sound normal. I mean... Just quieter than normal. Hmm. Well. Oh, well. I also don't see any of, like, the little squiggly voice thingies on the lines. Yeah, that's what's yeah. making me you get the... confused. For, like, anybody. Oh, I'm seeing your guys's. Does oh, I'm not seeing anybody's. Yeah, I see mine. I see yours. Dallas's are about the same as yours, Lexi. Which oh. is new. I'm the loud one, this episode, it looks like. Hmm. Well, compelling radio for everybody else. I'll figure this out. I just figured you were going to edit that we'll out. edit that out. Yeah, bold. Wheel. Bold of you Quotes. to assume that that is going to be in there. But this week, we're not just talking about audio quality. We are talking about my personal favorite comic book, finishing out our series with Saga Book 3. If you're listening to this, today, Saga Issue 55 drops after... Many people thought it would never come back. You haters told me that my favorite comic wasn't coming back. Issue 55 is back, idiots. And it looks so good. When you're listening to this, I've probably read it already, wept on the bus, and I'm probably reading it a second time at work because I'm a bad employee. Only a second time? I am so excited. And to get ready for that, we decided to read the, the final three volumes of Saga, hardcover book three, the last third of the compendium, issues 37 through 54, however you want to break up this comic, we read some goods. So, to open up the discussion, what did you two think of book three? Because much like the regular Saga experience, we took a little bit of a break before coming and reading book three. Did you feel lost starting it? How did it feel? 
um, <laughs> very authentic in the way where it's like, I'm just going to take a long break before I come back to this. <laughs> I, when we were reading it last time, we were like, okay, we're going to split it up into parts and we'll read each part. And I'll be like, that's good because I haven't read parts two and three yet. So this will be the first time experience for me. And I got so hooked up in it when we were reading part one that I read all the way through to the end because I just couldn't help myself. And so this isn't the first time I've gone through it, but it is a revisit. And it's still crazy how much happens in it that I just didn't remember. There's, It's it's so hard because there's so many characters that are always being introduced. It feels like you lose characters as fast as you gain them in this book, which is insane. And they're all just as cool as the last. Fiona Staples is just like an absolute genius when she comes to character design. It's fantastic. It's... This is the most heartbreaking of the three books we've gone over so far. We lose a lot of things. And I should probably throw up like, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> things. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about the the lost things. Yeah. Um hurt feelings. I had hurt feelings. When you're listening to this, I'm making a surprise appearance on the Geek Explained podcast today as well. To talk about Ooh. Moon Knight, my newest obsession. <laughs> um but off air, I was talking to Eric Azana. He was like, oh, I've loved listening. He's like, I've never read Saga, but like, I really like those episodes. And I was like, don't listen to this one. Don't listen. I want you to not be spoiled. Because I wasn't spoiled when I, I actually took a break from comics for a little while. And so I got to binge all of what was left of Saga. Did you just and I wasn't spoiled. What? How long was your break? Two years? Three. Three years. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's yeah, a hiatus. 2015 to 2018, I did not really read any comic books. I tried. I read a little bit of Dan Slott's Spider-Man because I really liked that. But then I didn't like Parker Industries. And so I was like, Mm -hmm. I do not care about this. And it took Tom King's Miracle Man to bring me back to comics, actually. Mm -hmm. I read Uh, that. And then I binged the rest of the saga. And it wasn't spoiled for me. And it was amazing. So spoiler warning. Don't look at the last one. Before you start, Alexis, I look. I just like the pictures, so I Uh like to scroll. I mean, I forget. I forget that uh, (laughs) comics are only pictures, and that's where you get the story. So I like opened the back of volume nine, and I gasped, and then closed it again. So hmm, very excited for this new issue. Let's just say that. (laughs) You know, I I will say this: Twitter has a habit of spoiling a lot of things. I don't think I've ever seen anyone have the guts to spoil the end of Saga on Twitter. I've never seen the last panel. Dallas, you're looking at me like you've definitely seen someone do it. This week, commenting on my shit, people were like, man, it's crazy that Blank died. And I was like, you guys are dicks. Like, Like, shut up. Go away. Don't be this way. Saying it's one thing, posting the panel, just full out on Mm. the timeline, saying like, oh, this is like, no one even like just says like, this is the saddest moment of all time where my heart's broken. It's like, no one just does it. Yeah. I weirdly feel like... The people that spoil comics on Stan Twitter, I feel like, don't read Saga, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not trying to sound, like, like, it just doesn't seem, it seems like a Venn diagram that would have a ton of crossover, but, like, I weirdly feel like it's been on hiatus long enough that you almost have to be, like, the old guard of comics to be, like, I started reading. And saying old guard is hilarious when there are people that have been reading since, like, the 70s. Yeah, and I was just talking about today, this started back in 2012, this is a 10-year-old comic. And I don't think people realize, like, this was the biggest comic on shelves for, like, five years. I know it's been on hiatus for a minute, but, like, this comic made Brian K. Bonifion Staples rich. 
And that doesn't happen in comics anymore. It was, it's a juggernaut of a comic. And so it's, so good. it's going to be really fun to see people picking it up for the first time, people revisiting it and just having it like in the public conscious again. Yeah. You don't walk into like a Hot Topic and see merch for just any comic, but you can go into a Hot Topic and find like Saga stuff still if you wanted to. It's insane. They've got Funko Pops. There Funko are no, Pops. I can't name another independent comic book other than maybe the Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. that has had the impact of Saga. I'm still waiting on that Petrichor Funko Pop. Actually, I'm full of shit. Walking Dead is huge and Invincible is huge as well. Oh, I forgot but, about that. But, but. I have to say right off the top, mm-hmm. the very first time that we met Petrichor, I read her name as Petrie. And I, ever <laughs> since, I just can't remember how it actually is. So she's Petrie to me, like the little <laughs> stupid dinosaur in Land Before Time. Just because because they call her like Petrie, like she has a nickname, but yeah. it's Petrie. She's Petrie. It's Petrie. I forgot about Petrie, the pterodactyl. <laughs> the stupid, what is he? The little pterodactyl. He's a little, but I know that's he's not a little pteranodon because he doesn't yeah, have a tail. Yeah. <laughs> Petrie. The smallest pterodactyl. That's her name. Well, there we go. I, I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> love her. Love her. Char- love her character. Petrie. <laughs> Petrie. Yeah, so <laughs> whenever she this... eats, she does it off a petri dish. <laughs> See, I'm even stupider. I was like, she's a tree of the peas. <laughs> <laughs> a peeing tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Oh, go ahead, Dallas. Keep going. I'm, this, Keep going, I'm the dumbest boy of them all. <laughs> um, but quick recap before we go into a volume by volume breakdown of Saga volume seven eight and nine so far marco and alana star-crossed lovers they think romeo and juliet but instead of dramatically killing themselves at the end they get knocked up and have to go on the run that's what saga is they've been on the run for a while they've had bounty hunters after them they had a, a robot prince after them they've made some friends they've lost others and when we pick up here in these volumes I'm not going to do a full breakdown. Go back and listen to our other episodes. Boost that engagement, baby. We talked about it. But where we left off, Marco and Alana have found out that they are pregnant a second time. I actually, I hate that phrase. They are not pregnant. Alana is pregnant. Marco's along for the ride. (laughs) He did his part. He did his part. He did his part. He likes his part. And he doesn't have to think about it again for nine months. Because Mm -hmm. that's frankly the privilege of a penis. But... (laughs) Uh, Alana is pregnant again, and they're very excited. And so volume seven opens up with one of the more chill volumes of Saga. Yeah. Until the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they Where, had to shake it up a little for us. I think for me, it really, really sunk in that this comic isn't so much about what happens, but about the people in the comic book. You know what I mean? When you look at the nine volumes of Saga, there are like five stories that happen. There are five major arcs covered in nine volumes. But the nine volumes are there because we know these characters better than I think I know almost any other fictional character. You know, and volume seven is a great example of just that, where really nothing happens other than character dynamics play out. And it's perfect. So what did we think of volume seven? Oh, 
Lexi, you go first. Yeah. (laughs) I do love the little um little mice people, the little what are they? Like meerkats. Yes. I love how they're religious. I think that's so funny. Are you the missionaries? No. Oh, no, it's we're not. funny until the end, and then yeah. it's not oh. funny anymore. And we just go cry about it. But no, I liked. I mean, especially Starting from where we like cut it, it was a very like chill start to the absolute shit tornado that starts the rest of this. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was it was lovely. I loved the little um, Hazel Mouse Man romance, little child mouse. What's his name? Um, I think Kurt- it's actually Curdy. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Like their little a lot of names ending in eyes. Is... Yeah. Mm. Curti and Petri. 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 Alexis, what did you think of having Hazel as a functioning character in this? It was cute. I think it's. I think she was written in a way that was so funny, and it made sense for her age mm-hmm. category. Like I knew that she was a child. Like she wasn't written in a way. Because like, we've had her the whole story. Like, we've had her be our narrator. We've seen her thoughts on things. But we've never actually seen her, like, be a part of those things, if that makes sense. And so her, like, forming relationships with other characters and, like, bringing them into her family was really, really fun. And I thought she had funny moments of, like, still being a child while her family is on the run, which was fun to watch, too. So I liked it. I liked her being independent and sassy (laughs) she's very savage yeah there's you know like the highs and the lows of childhood like when she's just hanging out with Curti, killing those bugs Mm. and then she has like that moment where isabel shows up and is like what are you doing those are living things you can't undo death Mm -hmm. and they have that like argument and that fight and i'm like that's just so sad in the way it's like that it's you know a child coming to terms with the the realities of this world and just how she's going to get very, very familiar with the concept of death as things go on in the story. And it's just such bitter foreshadowing for everything that's to come because she's an innocent person in a not in an environment that doesn't allow her innocence and is watching that slowly slip away, which is a lot of what this specific arc is because it's just a buildup. It's a long buildup to something terrible that you know is coming. And then when it happens, it's somehow even worse than you could have possibly imagined and it leads to this heartbreaking finish that's just six to seven pages of total silence, total, mm-hmm. total blackout. And I think that was an incredibly inspired choice just to write an issue that ends in six pages of black. It's it's so much. It's so heavy. And so, it happens to such innocent creatures, too. Yeah, it's... It's gnarly. Um, Sokka does this great thing where it lulls you into a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Where the family, they land their rocket ship on the comet Thane, P-H-A-N-G, where um, the little, I don't know, what is her name? I don't want to call her Slave Girl because I gave her a name, but the Wills. Sophie. The wheels, yeah, Sophie. Where so- <laughs> Sophie is originally from the comet Thane. And so... They land on the comet, they're living there, they meet a lovely little family, and it just plays out, it plays out, and then you're reminded that Saga takes place during wartime. And these two massive superpowers 
decide to work together for the greater good of the profit of war, which again, just like sends a chill down your spine. It's like, oh, that's mm-hmm. real. That's real. And after we've learned to love these characters for five issues, they're they're taken away from us. And one of the most brutally sad, like when little Curti is praying as he's being sucked up into the black and it just mm-hmm. disappears, like that that's a death in saga that doesn't get talked about enough. Like in this same volume we have the death of one of my personal favorite characters, Isabel. Liz is killed, which again is foreshadowed to great in book one. They talk about how one of the greatest pains Hazel ever will feel is when Isabel dies. And you're like, that's great. And then you move on and you're like, I didn't think you'd make me see it. Yeah. Her little face too, when she like realized, because she knows. It's so sad. And the last thing they, they had an argument and that was the last thing they ever said to each other. Yeah. Didn't Hazel, like Hazel said she hated her or something? Like, yep, mm-hmm. it was awful. It's brutal, brutal. The first, the first of many deaths in mm-hmm. this third of the book. It's gonna be a somber episode, folks. Yeah, it's <laughs> we're just gonna go cry. We'll take breaks and cry and then come back. <laughs> but somehow it's it's somber, but also there's still a lot of moments of levity in this book. This book is a real personification of just life as a whole. Because there's the ups and the downs, and that's why you keep coming back to it. Because there's ups that make the downs worth it. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm i a very big fan of the writing of Brian K. Vaughan. Um, Brian K. Vaughan is someone who, you can tell he wants to make his world feel as diverse and lived in mm-hmm. as the real world, which I think is a noble pursuit. But he does fall short by being a white man writing diverse characters Pretty frequently. Like, mm-hmm. I'll, I will admit that about this writer that I love. But what he does well is writing that family dynamic because it's his dynamic, right? It feels so honest. It feels so true. And you can really tell when he's writing his experience. And I think that's what makes Saga special because it kind of just feels like we're hanging out with Brian K. Vaughn and his family, right? Because that, that was the inspiration, mm-hmm. right? This series mm-hmm. was Brian K. Vaughn and his wife had a child and he's like i have no good ideas and he's like all i want to talk about all the time is what's happening with my family and no one else wants to listen to the diaper bag stories i have he's like so how do i how do i talk about that because i've got nothing else on my plate and i think that's what makes saga special is that it is so human it is so intimate and it just, it feels real in this high fantasy, exciting world. Agreed. Yeah, it's just, it's so much. And just talking, going back to Isabel's death for a second. She's a character who I was very fond of. Out of like the original group, she was easily one of my favorites just because she's so lovable. I love all of her little um, illusions. I love the, um, we're coming to eat your taints that happens in this one. <laughs> And um, she's just an enjoyable character. I love that she, the, the moment she talks to Petrichor about Petrichor being trans, and she's like, look at me. Do you think I care about what's going on beneath the waist? Because I don't have one. <laughs> and she's just such a chill character. And even in death, where she has that one fake out moment where she's like, please, I don't want to die again. And then she 
turns around and doesn't she like call them like mega ugly or something like that? Yes. She said, oh, one second. I pulled it up. She says, please, I I don't want to die again. I'll tell you everything. And then she turns around like smirking. Should I address the ugly bitch or the uglier bitch? Because this is the two-headed um assassin, the March, who's come after her. And for final words, those are some pretty great final words. Mm-hmm. Very Isabel, fitting for her character. Exactly. Isabel is as punk rock as she wants to be, right? They're like, you can appear as anything. Why do you appear like this? And she's like, because this t-shirt is rad as hell. And I got it at a punk rock concert. <laughs> Did it? Like, Patrick what do you Hoare, think? like Idiot. comment on her t-shirt? Yeah, she said, um, oh, you goes, saw them Brad. live or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, like you were alive <laughs> you when were they were. To see, you were alive to see them live? So, so good. Such a big loss. A character that I love a lot, but a character that feels lived in, you mm-hmm. know? That's something that the deaths in this third of Saga, they don't feel like fridging. They don't feel mm-hmm. like shock value because I know these characters like the back of my head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't show up just to die. And yeah, that's an important thing the saga does. Mm-hmm. They're deaths that serve a purpose to push the narrative forward. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Isabel and Hazel had that fight before she died, and that's going to teach um, Hazel going forward just the cost of like you know every moment. It, it serves a purpose for her character going forward, and we knew from the beginning that Isabel wasn't going to be sticking around forever. Because, you know, no one needs a babysitter forever. And they even say, like, she's going to, you know, be gone eventually. So it sets that up perfectly. And it it's heartbreaking, but it's in a way that makes everything better in the long run. Because it serves a purpose. I agree. I also feel like of all the deaths that could happen, mm-hmm. it's the one that'll, that will hurt, but just sets you on the tracks for the kind of hurt that's coming down the road. Yeah. It's a, a warm-up death. <laughs> it's a warm-up death where you're like, I can't believe they kill Isabel. And the book just laughs. Like, yeah? Yeah, get ready, just idiot. <laughs> just wait, little dinghies. <sighs> and little dinghies we are because... Mm-hmm. Do we have any other thoughts about Volume 7? Well, we gotta talk about the end, but I mean... Oof. Just yeah. Nobody Oof. wants to, but we the have to. The time suck... What did you guys think of coming back to a time suck? Like, what a what a cool callback to book one. It's just... That splash where we find out where they're heading and just, like, the void of space. It's so Lovecraftian in its horror. It's just that fear of the unknown. And it just... It strikes right in the core of what I love most about horror. And, like, this, this is where it got real for me. I'm like, this is absolutely terrifying they're all gonna die i love this i'm here for it (laughs) i feel like fiona staples leveled up this Mm -hmm. volume fiona staple has always been great but the world building the seeing that time suck and the scale of it all Mm -hmm. you i don't know it feels like the original star wars where anything could happen you know what i mean one of my big one of my big complaints about modern Star Wars is like they keep shrinking it. Mm-hmm. They keep being like, there's one planet and it's called Tatooine. And there's one family because force is held in the balls. And like, there's one character and his name is Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give him a whole backstory when he had three words in the original trilogy. You know what I mean? Like, 
the magic of Star Wars was how huge it was. Mm-hmm. And it makes me sad to see that chipped down more and more and more and more and more with everything they're doing. When it could be the opposite. They could be making it bigger. Um, but Saga, that's the, the only touch point that I really feel like Saga feels mm-hmm. like Star Wars in that it's fantasy, it's sci-fi, but it's, it's a lived-in universe that you believe. Like, I believe that Han Solo lives in the Millennium Falcon. I believe that this family lives in the Treehouse Rocket. You know what I mean? In a way that I don't always believe what a story is telling me about a universe. And the time suck feels like that. It feels like, oh yeah, these exist in this universe and people are aware and it's the worst fucking day of your life. Mm-hmm. You pull up on one. Ooh, would you rather get Death Starred or would you rather get Time Sucked? I think a Time Suck operates like a black hole. Mm-hmm. And so my favorite scientific term of all time, spaghettification. It's a real oh. term. It's how a black hole pulls you apart by your atoms until you are one long string of atoms. And that is how you die from a black hole. And so mm-hmm. I think that's worse than being vaporized. Probably. Um, and, they guess. <laughs> yeah, they guess. As you get stretched out as well, apparently you'll be able to see every bit of the light spectrum as you go. Because like you'll get dilated and light will literally stretch and so it'll start to blink into your into where humans can see. And so like, oh. yeah, you're gonna die, but it'd be kind of dope as well. Yeah, that's way. an it, experience. It'd Something feel to like write the home end. about. <laughs> exactly. It'd feel like the end of two thousand one a space odyssey, which is objectively a good Great book and a good movie, Anne. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Miss No Taste. I, I didn't know that. I'm actually have a different opinion on that, but that's You know, I'm kinda fine. bummed that we're so sad about the literal least sad volume in this whole damn run that we're gonna see. Cause it's just gonna get worse from here, folks. It's just gonna get do you, worse. Do you think volume eight is sad? Uh I w- well, mm, let me rephrase. I think volume eight just I'll have words about that one. It scared the shit out of me. I wanted the freaking... I was reading it last night at 12.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. as myself does. Obviously. My, mm-hmm. I need that on a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> but the one panel... Oh, ooh, I'll get there when we get there. But I literally, like, screeched. I screeched. It was a jump scare. Was it when we saw the M-Wife? Yes. Yeah. Jump scare. Jump scare right there. Ooh. Mm-mm-mm. I said, don't, don't let her near you. What in the hell? <laughs> we come to oh yeah yeah she's, she's perfect i don't all oh, six of her saggy titties gender scary. gender <laughs> thank you very much oh yeah uh, and can oh, we talk yeah. about how just before we move on the end of volume seven i'm pretty sure they went on a short hiatus after that so the last thing people had from saga was those six pages of darkness before anything else wow happened. they're really good at that good for them yeah <laughs> brian k vaughn is the best last page of a comic book writer in the history of comics. Mm-hmm. Like I feel confident in saying that nobody writes a cliffhanger like Brian K. Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading his Ex Machina right now, mm-hmm. listeners. And it's kind of a mixed bag. Like It's a little bit like Paper Girls for me, where I'm like, this is good, but like it doesn't sing for me, how some of his other work does. And But like the guy knows how to write a bingeable comic. Even this one that I'm like 75% invested in, mm-hmm. I get to the last page. I'm like, well, I have to know what happens next. Like, I have to keep watching. I have to keep reading. It's like, mm-hmm. this this bastard knows how to suck you in. <laughs> how to time suck you in. Time hey. suck you right in. Um, 
But setting up for Volume 8, Volume mm-hmm. 7 ends with the rocket ship barely escaping the time suck. And with that escape, um, Alana falls and they they lose the child that she's carrying with them. A and very late term. A very late term mm-hmm. loss of child. And it's heartbreaking. Like, I think that's one of the saddest panels in comic books. Especially because um, throughout, like, the volume, we hear her comment time and time again about how he's kicking the shit out of her the entire time. And, like, just her last words of, like, I don't feel him kicking, like, ripped the soul from my body. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, all right, Saga, way to kick me while I'm down. All right, mm-hmm. haven't recovered yet from Isabel. It just is so chilling. And I feel like it feels like a very special episode that Brian K. Vaughn actually can talk about well. Like, I don't know, like, anything about his personal life, but, like, this one felt real and emotional. And, like, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like a jump scare. It didn't feel like it was just included just to be included. It's like, it it hit me where I lived a little bit. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't know how you can read this and then read volume eight of Saga and still be a back words person who believes that we can legislate women's bodies. Yeah. You know, just, like... It's crazy that the book that is so wild can have such a quiet moment that's so personal and emotional of just a husband with his head on his wife's stomach trying to find a heartbeat and not finding one. And mm-hmm. it's just... It, it's something like you... It's a book full of space dragons and giant floating babies that eat planets and tv headed people but it's like you have to like bring it down for a second because it's such an insanely real moment Mm -hmm. and the amount of empathy you have to carry in the art the way you have to make these characters real just to make that work is insane a lot of that weight is carried by fiona staples and she's just so good at that she all the emotions these characters feel always on their face that's so much work being done there. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, issue seven of Saga was officially mm-hmm. the longest running comic Fiona Staples had ever worked on. Really? She had written two six. She had drawn two six issue miniseries before this. Wow. Um, I think she is one of the best comic book artists of the modern era. Like undoubtedly, her. Her ability to convey emotion, to cartoon, to... She does everything. She has mm-hmm. everything that this book needs. She can draw a time suck that is so jarring and shocking that you freeze looking at the double page spread. And she can draw tiny panels where sadness only exists in the eyes. You know? Mm-hmm. It's it's stunning work. And I'm so excited for new Fiona Staples pages. It's... <laughs> It's so amazing. And you still have people over reading Cape shit, arguing whether or not women should be behind the page at all. And just, she's out here making some of the most iconic work of the 21st century. Because mm-hmm. that's, it's going to be... Parallel. Oh, yeah. It's... And it's like... Drawing for the female gaze is so much cooler than drawing for the male gaze. <laughs> this is something I'm qualified to speak on. Exactly. As the man in the room. <laughs> drawing for the male gaze is so fucking, like, cheesecakey and gross and like 
all the annoying shit in the world, I feel like, comes from catering to the male gaze. Like, any body dysmorphia that I feel as a perfectly normal, handsome man comes from other fucking men that are like, men have to look like a Dorito. Bulging. <laughs> like, women don't make you be. Like, Marco's not that. Marco looks like a normal dude, but hot. Because that's how a woman draws a hot man. He's not like, oh, look at my cum gutters. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and. I can't believe, of, of all the things I thought would get dropped on the show today, that was not it. That was not one <laughs> that of them. That was not one of them. And like, I'll be real, in volume nine, um, one of my favorite moments of Saga, and it, it's not even for a horny reason, is. When, like the extended sex scene between Marco and Alana on um, the fish planet. I don't remember its <laughs> the name. The fish place, Beach World. I don't know. Beach, beach <laughs> World, where Upshur and Doff are from. I, I think that was more sex ed than I got in my entire life reading that, where it was like two consenting adults like talking about listening to each other's bodies and expressing love through intercourse. Mm-hmm. Blew my mind. Super sexy, steamy scene, but not gross. It didn't feel icky in a way that, like, a lot of shit feels icky because it's being written and drawn by icky people. Mm-hmm. Like, to anybody, like, comics aren't sexy anymore. Mm-hmm. Read Saga, morons. <laughs> saga is very sexy. It's sexy, but, and it's sexy, but in, like, the sweet kind of way mm-hmm. that, like, real sex brings. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it feels like this book's being written by someone that got laid. <laughs> okay, but there are some comics that aren't that way. Not to not to focus only on the horny aspects of this book for a second, but can we talk about the fact that this is a book that featured a sex scene with a trans woman where she wasn't objectified during the whole thing? Mm-hmm. No, she wasn't. She yeah, was appreciated. It, yeah, <laughs> she was definitely appreciated by <laughs> Prince Robot. Um, <laughs> and that's just so cool because that's, that like never happens. One, you don't see trans women in sex scenes in comics because that would require them to include a trans woman to begin with. And two, just the fact that it's a scene that doesn't focus on her at all. It's just two people sharing a moment. And it's like nothing about this is abnormal or weird. It's just normal. And that's really cool to see. I think Brian K. Vaughn did a lot better with Petrichor in this one than he did in the last couple volumes. And you can see that growth. I think the parts where he touches on her um, being transgender had a lot better impact in this one. A couple of really soft moments between her and Hazel. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know what the behind the scenes change was, but mm-hmm. it's very tangible. It was a good one. Book. It was a good one. I love Just when she grow. comments. She's like, I am so sick and tired of these awfully specific adult conversations I have to have with you, child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so funny. Mm-hmm. That's that's the trans experience as a whole. <laughs> I'm so sick of these very personal questions, but thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I really think Petrichor is my favorite character of these last three Agreed. volumes. Like, Agreed. Like, like I said that last time, remembering finally, like, oh, she becomes one of my favorite characters. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. in the way that last episode, I was like in my feels about Marco. Like, I'm like in my feels about Petrichor. I was like, you are such a phenomenal mm-hmm. fictional character. Like, I'm so happy it exists. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, I was like, just, you mean a lot, but also you're just, you're interesting. 
It, it's not tokenism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She has. And she dresses to the nines every single time. Oh she's my a god, bad bitch! She's an icon. She's but when like she shaves the girl. sides of her head and just has Ooh, that like with her dope braid thick mohawk, yes. mohawk braid, I was like, "Baddie, you are such a baddie." <laughs> she knows it too. <laughs> she, or her oh, swimming <laughs> outfit. Mm. Mm, mesh when she when she does the the spell to like lure someone, like, yes. I need someone to fuck. I was gonna say, I, most iconic panel of all time, most relatable panel of all time. It's just so perfect. Uh, that's the panel I've seen go around time and time again from people reading Saga for the first time because they're like, "Yes, Petricor, my baby, please." <laughs> but like again, Saga is a book about sex between consenting adults right Mm -hmm. the opposite of war is fucking like the the book is about it Mm -hmm. and it's so sweet that she doesn't get left out you know what i mean because like it's easy to it's easy for a lot of writers to leave her out you know to bring her in the story and then leave it out and i think get left out and it didn't feel any different than any sex scene we've seen from anybody else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it ruled it ruled beautiful perfect Good for Beautiful. her. Should we jump into Speak. volume eight? No notes. Yes. No I notes. like Who I like Prince Robot's fluidity as well. I like oh how God, I, when he did the thing joke. with his hand, I was like, <laughs> that rules, King. Good for, Good for you. you. <laughs> Good for you, King. You are literally gender fluid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I love when he's like flipping through the porn on his screen and it's like the two dudes railing each other. He's like, not today. Not today. And then it keeps going through. I was like, honestly, an icon. All right. Oh, can we also talk about the fact that Hazel and her little mouse friend watch his dreams of Stevie? Oh my God. And they're like, should we be watching this? And they're like, these are they're, really twisted. Really twisted. <laughs> they're like five. Oh, oh my gosh, oh. that was so oh, so no. funny. I actually I actually laughed out loud at that those panels. I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. <laughs> he chases them away. He's like, I thought I told you to stop doing this, you little <laughs> yeah. perverts. Yeah, you know it wasn't the first time. Oh, <sighs> I just want to point out, getting into volume eight, I love that Petricor asked the world to send, asked the universe to send her someone to fuck, and then Prince Robot shows up later. And he's yeah. like, I just came to return something. That's yeah, her, her spell worked. Her spell worked. Oh, but yeah, who wants to start talking about abortion town in chapter eight? It's it's a perfectly saga moment where like it makes you laugh. It makes you like really look into the character design of this like little owl sheriff. Mm-hmm. But like I I personally think this is one of the best handled like very special issues of saga where like you get some real talk from this little owl about abortions and i almost before rereading this week i remembered this volume and i was like i hope that's not squicky now that i go back and listen to it Mm -hmm. or read it you know i was like i remember liking it but i also remember really liking petricor and then i didn't love how she was introduced in the second Mm -hmm. book and i was like please let this be a good brian k von moment and not a bad brian k von moment Mm -hmm. i think it was a good one I, I do too. Lana, what what did you guys think of Abortion Town and the whole the owl conversation? I kind of found it ironic that it was set in the old Western time, being mm-hmm. affiliated with um, people I know that have opinions, and I, yeah, I found that highly ironic. And like the the 
cowboy vigilantes and like their opinions and like their squabble about things. I find it ironic. And I was like, wow, this, they, they knew what they were doing coming into this. Like this mm-hmm. was very specific and done in a really good way, I would say. Um, kind of how we like mentioned the freaking jump scare of this stupid saggy titty werewolf that scared the <laughs> shit out of me. Ooh, because like basically the bottom line is um, they're since she was so far along, they have to have an assisted procedure for her to have her baby taken out because it's causing a lot of physical and mental and emotional trauma and also damage to her. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of see her progressively getting sicker and sicker due to it. And we get this moment where with the little owl sheriff where he's like, oh, okay, well, it's like too far along for us to help you. Like, I'm so sorry. And he even like, he mentions that he's like, I am so sorry, but like, I, there's nothing we can do for you here. And then he kind of goes like, but if I were to say something, then you can't tell where you heard this from. Like, I know who can help you type Mm -hmm. of thing. And I kind of feel like without going into super too much, like down a rabbit hole, that is such a, a real thing. And we get later in the issues of talking about how dangerous this backdoor helper is. And I feel like that's something that is so real in real life. Like, oh, we can't help you. But someone super terrifying in the back alley definitely can. And, like, we don't realize how detrimental that can be to also, like, mm-hmm. the mothers. We see parts where um, with the, her past – um, women that she's helped and it's it's scary like the mm-hmm. then it's touched on very quickly I would say which I think is a kind of a a good thing I would say mm-hmm. I mean it's not it's not a great topic but it's really dangerous for the mothers as well to be going down that dark back alley type of situation mm-hmm. and so I feel like it was a very powerful narrative that they were talking about but I feel like they did it in a way that was like like, oh, here, you can you can take this information and not feel absolutely horrified of what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it made it in a way that – I don't want to say easy to read because it was tragic, but it was done, in my opinion, in a tasteful way, the way that they yeah. talk about it. So, mm-hmm. you know. It, yeah, it's a topic that's, you know, very, very hard to talk about. Like, it's something you don't bring up at the dinner table. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm bored. Let's talk about abortion now. Um, it's something that has to be handled that way. And it's, I'm glad that it was because it's so often a topic that people talk about, like it's black and white, you know, like it's like people hear abortion and there's so often this gut reaction where it's like people just going in just on like a whim, like, Hey, I don't want this baby anymore. So I'm going to go and get rid of it when that's not always the case like i've known women in my life who have had similar situations to alana in this where they've miscarried and they've had to go and actually have help to get the um to get the baby out and certain times abortion laws that are meant to restrict you know the black and white version also cover this and there's other circumstances like the um the elephant lady who is also in this clinic who had other circumstances around it, why she had to get rid of the baby and why it's just like, this is the better option. It's not a great option, but it's a better option. And it's just, it, it's, it hurts because it's something that's so real and 
probably something we should talk about more because there's so many people that probably just don't understand it and that's why they don't it's it's you know it's you get that gut reaction to it and i think this is a great first look for the people who haven't thought about it a lot you know it's it's like i said everything in this book is really heavy this time around there's a lot of heavy things but handled very well it's it's a hard conversation to have you know yeah i agree um I think Saga does a really great job of introducing a hard subject mm-hmm. and saying like, go learn more. Yeah. You know, like Saga is not going to answer all your questions about abortion, but it is going to raise some things you might not have thought about and open up your mind in a way mm-hmm. that will allow you to go and figure your shit out. You know, mm-hmm. I can, I can honestly say there have been times in my life, and this sounds ridiculous, as someone who will never carry a baby, mm-hmm. would not carry a baby. It sounds ridiculous that I ever had opinions on this shit. You know what I mean? Like, there were times in my life when I was staunchly like, nope, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's it's stories like this. It's talking with women. Surprise. You talk with, with the people who it affects, and it becomes so much less black and white in the way that it wants to be presented in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comic feels especially pertinent right now with the Supreme Court wanting to take away women's right to their own bodily autonomy. It's it's frustrating. It's it's really frustrating to see rooms full of people that look like me make decisions for people that aren't like me. Yeah. It's I think that's why the old west setting is so fitting because this mm-hmm. is a sci-fi universe that feels like it's set back several centuries and that's that hits pretty close to home. Yeah. But talking about the procedure as a whole, it has some effects on Alana as a person and some things that we might not have expected happen, including a prevision of the life that might have been. And we get to see Hazel's baby brother brought to life. What did you think about... He, his name is actually Curdy too, because he was named after the um, the friend they lost. So what do you think about Curdy? so sad i just mm-hmm. oh it like broke my heart especially the scene at the very end with them in like the little waiting room i was mm-hmm. like i don't want to keep reading this anymore i didn't know what's gonna happen but i'm over it it's so sad but just like feeling her emotions i feel like it was written in a way like that you can understand a child's perspective of what's happening well, we very really have the view of the parents, like their stress, their anxiety about it, how they have to deal with it. But you never really get the firsthand account of like a small child and how they come to cope or understand the loss of an unborn sibling. Like we, I mean, at least me, like I have never really gotten a look into something like that, something similar, like especially with like even early term miscarriages, like when you're a small child and your mom is like, you're going to be a big sibling. Like that's a very big thing. And I feel like it's easily lost in the pain of an adult to realize the pain of a small child of like, oh, I will never 
get to meet like that little baby that I've been so excited for. And I feel like she's old enough to realize where the lines are. You know, she knows that there's our baby brother. She knows to expect him. And I feel like it's just kind of an interesting dynamic to see her thoughts and how she copes with it, with the loss of him. It's very interesting. and something I've never really seen portrayed in media before. Mm-hmm. It was like a little girl's opinion about it. So. Yeah, Yeah, it's, this is really, if you think about it, this is the trinity of Hazel learning to not just accept death, but like deal with it. Mm -hmm. Because first it's Isabel in the last chapter, and now it's Curdie in this one. And then in the final chapter, we are going to see her, well, we don't see her react to it, but she loses, you know, someone else who's important to her. And that's going to affect her going down the road. And it's just the 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 good three combo. And I feel so bad for this little girl who's having to grow up so, so fast. Yeah, it's a it's a heavy and sad volume. Yeah. But but there's... it also like mm-hmm. I love the sweet moments between the family. Yes. Like the moment where Alana wakes up on the train while Marco's still asleep. Like mm-hmm. I've thought about that all week since I saw it where I was like, oh, yeah, like, Brian Kavon and I feel the same way about our spouse. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that feeling every single morning. Like, I, I don't deserve you. And there are really sweet moments between Hazel and her parents. And I love the bridge into volume nine when you see them all, like, sleeping in the same bed together. You can see that, like, the family decided to take this tragedy and cling to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really special. I think that's something that, I don't know. It's it's really easy to, to focus on the trauma that comes with family. Yeah. And be like, families can be the worst. But like families can also be the best. You know? They can be there for you in a way that nobody else can be. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the end of Volume 8 into the beginning of Volume 9 really showed how this family holds together and things together in a beautiful way. Yeah, because it's, again, it's lost with a purpose. And the purpose here is showing how they bounce back from it and how it brings them closer as a family, which is really great to see. Every moment between Alana and Marco from the beginning to the end is just absolute perfection. It's so honest and true, the ups and the downs. And you see so many ups that you don't get to see elsewhere it's such a healthy relationship that i've i adore and it makes everything happens in volume nine even more tragic but it's i like seeing couples written who actually like each other because that's the way it should be you know Mm -hmm. i like seeing that type of relationship shown off I also like that they have had to learn to like each other and they continue Mm -hmm. to choose to like each other because that is very real as well. Mm -hmm. I, I love my wife more than anything in the world. Like there are days she has to choose to like me and I have to choose (laughs) to like her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And as people that got married pretty young, I, I've always really clung to Saga because Brian Kavon, he says that Marco and Alana were 19 when they got married. And when they got pregnant with Hazel. And and so this book ages people in real time. So when we meet them again in issue 55, 
Alana will be 29 years old. You know what I mean? And they've been on a three year break. So like this right here, they're my age in, in this book, mm-hmm. you know? And I do, I've, I definitely can see like they've learned how to be a couple. They've learned how Marco has learned how to be the kind of husband that Alana needs. And Alana has learned how to be the kind of wife that Marco needs. Mm-hmm. I think that's really special because that's something that I, I feel in my own life now where like, I feel like I finally figured out how to be a good husband. And I'm sure I'm going to look in two years back and be like, you idiot. You didn't know <laughs> shit. But I think that's kind of the magic of, yeah. of a long-term relationship like that. So this comic just continues to get closer and closer to my heart because it's about people and because I feel like I can imprint on these people. I love that. I love hearing you talk about this book. I love anyone talking about the things they love, but I know you can tell how excited Dallas is about it. Emotional like, connections it. to stories are so like, great. Losing. Right. It's also just good because like this book, Scott McCloud talks about a really cool thing in understanding comics, which I think everybody should read. If, if you love art and you want to engage in it in a deeper way, read understanding comics because like, for instance, I love the movie 1917 because I had just read Understanding Comics when I watched 1917. And I was like, oh, they're doing this thing that he said you should do. And so it made me like it more. So it's not just about understanding comics. It's about understanding art and how people engage with art. And it's done perfectly. But there's a bit where he talks about the difference between photorealistic art and iconography where he says the more realistic your art becomes, the less a person will imprint on it and say, that's me. And the more they'll say, that's that character. So like when Alex Ross draws Superman, I see Superman. I don't see Mm -hmm. Dallas as Superman. But with Fiona Staples, more minimalist, a little bit more cartoonish style, but it's stunning and unique. There are times where I feel like I'm Marco. You know what I mean? I imprint on him. And... But then again, I love, um, in the back matter of book three, Brian K. Vaughn talks, he sends the character descriptions to Fiona Staples. And he says, this is kind of what I have in mind for these characters, but obviously, like, do whatever you want. And Fiona Staples is the reason this book is diverse and is not just a bunch of white people. And Brian calls that out. He's like, in my myopic worldview, I just always pictured everybody white. He's like, because I'm white. And you can thank Fiona for making this diverse and beautiful cast. Mm-hmm. And I think by making Marco and Alana somewhat ambiguous in in how they look, everybody can imprint on these characters in, in a really universal and beautiful way. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like this. I feel like we also need to mention the other tragic death in this volume specifically of our lovely little sweet boy. Oh, I cried. We haven't even talked oh. about the will. I know. Well, cause I'm he shows mad. up in this one. I'm mad at the will. He doesn't well, get any screen boy. time from me. The will is he's the help. He needs help. He, help. he needs help. Um, the will is a really interesting look at depression and mental illness and how if you choose this ending, because again, I was just talking about Moon Knight with a friend. And so I've been talking a lot about mental health, (laughs) 
this last week, but the wheel is great evidence of like where you can go if you decide to just turn off mm-hmm. and not look into the eyes, the shit that you need to look at. I'm not saying you have to solve your problems immediately. I'm not saying that you're not allowed to feel your emotions, but you can't just turn off and you can't just decide to be like the will, you know? Yeah. He just he, gave up. He gave up. He gave up. And because he gave up, he became a black hole in people's lives. I think one of the most heartbreaking moments in this whole book is when he went back to see Sophie and Lion Cat oh, and they and didn't Lion, want anything to do with him. Lion Cat. You could see in their eyes, though, that they wanted to be there for him, but they knew that they just couldn't do anything for him. And especially I feel like Lion Cat, when he was like, you choose, like, it's up to you. Who do you want to be around? And in the end, lion cat chooses selfie and i feel like that's such you could see it in his face he realized like oh they don't like my best friend doesn't want anything to do with me anymore you know and i really felt for him in that moment like oh okay i'm the problem like this is terrible and he like really goes into like a self wallowing downward spiral spiral that we get to watch quite painfully um I don't know. I feel so bad for him. Like when he's just like, you can really like when his beard's all grown out and he just looks real, really rough. It's pretty, pretty sad. It is. And again, I care because of the legwork that Brent Tavon and Fiona Staples have done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the will was one of my, he is one of my favorite characters in this book. He's so badass. He has fast <laughs> heroic moments. Like he saved Sophie. Mm-hmm. He was going to be a good partner for Gwendolyn. He like there were so many decisions that he made that you were like, this is like our swashbuckling Han Solo. Mm-hmm. The book tells you at the beginning that the will is the biggest monster you're going to meet in this book, mm-hmm. and then the book convinces you that it was lying the whole way until it stops convincing you it was lying. Until you see that it was actually not. <laughs> You see that, oh, it was serious. He's the biggest monster we're going to meet. Hazel wasn't lying. (laughs) Hazel wasn't lying. And interesting tidbit, again, from the back matter of book three. I always suspected this, but it's confirmed. The narrator is adult Hazel. Yeah. So, like, the part where she's like, I got to grow old. She she is writing back, reflecting on this story, which was kind of inferred, but it was nice to have confirmed. But, like, Mm -hmm. that is what is happening. It's so sad. Oh, it. I need to figure out how much of a reliable narrator she is because I feel like sometimes sometimes she pulls at my leg a little bit but other times she is dead serious and that frustrates me I'm mad at adult Hazel is the worst character in this book she's a bitch (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I I'm really interested of all the characters I'm interested to see what the will is up to as the story picks back up in issue 55 Issue 57, the cover is that same yellow from, I think it's issue seven, where the will is sitting on the golden ball and Lion Cat's right by him. Right. So that same yellow color, but it's the will reaching out, trying to lure Lion Cat back to him with like a snack in his hand. Oh, no, absolutely not. And so like, I am very curious to see what he's up to because... Volume 9 represents, like, I think 
rock bottom for the will. And he's trapped. It's like if Han Solo just decided to hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. That's what the will feels like. And I'm, I love Han Solo. He's my favorite character in Star Wars. And so like, it's brutal. It's brutal that all the characters you love ruin each other's lives in volume yeah. nine. Mm-hmm. The whole cast you've been introduced to and you fall in love with mm-hmm. finally come to a head. And if they don't, they try their damnedest to. Like, this whole volume is... There's a moment where I was like, to Prince Robot, I was like, you fucker. Like, yep. I oh. loved you. I loved Eight. you. And you decided to become a fuck. And <laughs> the will. I was like, I loved you. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Everyone makes choices in this last volume about who they're going to be. And these feel like final statements. Like we've had arcs until this point. This is who I am. There's the moment where Robot decides like, I'm g- I've am i come to care about these people, but I have to focus on my family first. So he tries to sell them out. There's the moment where the Will's like, I could just give up and leave, but I'm going to go ahead and cause problems. And there's the moment where Marco's like, I could just, you know, leave. I'm going to, I'm going to protect my family. And it just solidifies all three of these characters. Finally, literally in two cases. Yeah. So big, uh, big spoilers ahead for volume nine. If you didn't believe us at the beginning of this, truly, truly log off. Yeah. If you don't know the end of saga issue 54, I don't want to be the reason that it got spoiled for you. Oh, and it's one of those. I'm even tiptoeing around it in this episode because even though we say at the beginning spoilers, I still don't want to say it out loud because it's such. Yeah, it's such a big thing. It's a death that seriously, seriously matters. And is there another death in fiction that hit you like this? Um, Han Solo. He was old. I didn't care. (laughs) Uh, Like if it wasn't telegraphed, hit dad. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, bro, he's dead. Like, I don't care about the Dad sequel got up trilogy. And left. He left the movie. <laughs> he went inside the truck. If it wasn't telegraphed as much, because I, I think I knew Marco was going to die by the time the issue started, but I still think Han Solo was more telegraphed. Yeah, Han Solo, they put it on the fucking poster. <laughs> like, Harrison Ford finally gets to leave. He's tried every <laughs> single movie. He's really been trying hard. I would have to think about that for a second. Come back to me at the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, I this ruined like my week when I read this. Frankly, I was like, this book is mean and spiteful, and I hate it. And I handed all of it to my friends that I lived with, and I was like, you all need to read this. You know what I'm talking about. Oh no! And then you had to live with it for three years. Yeah, I've only had to live with it for like six months. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm doing okay. I'm holding out. I'm not like I never lost faith that it was going to come back. Mm-hmm. I was like, this book makes so much money, <laughs> and you know these creators love it. Mm-hmm. it. you can feel the love in the pages. So there was never a point where I was like, it's just not coming back. Mm-hmm. So. I'm. I think three years is a solid hiatus. Because any longer than that, you start to fall into like Half-Life 3 territory where it's like, I kind of hope you don't come back because you can never live up to the hype that your absence has built. Mm -hmm. True. But I think they're in a really good place to to build on that. And we'll get more into that later. But, you know, volume nine as a whole, what 
what did everyone think? The big sad. The big sad. It's a lot of death. A lot. <laughs> because like I honestly forgot that volume nine sets up like this is where the party breaks up. Like mm-hmm. this is no matter what happens, we're not moving forward with the same status quo. And so you kind of come to terms with that. Upshur and Doff are going to help Prince Robrock, Petricor, and Princeling to escape into a new life with the witness protection spell. <laughs> and Marco, Alana, and Hazel, and Goose, I guess, are going to be on their own. You know what I mean? And then the book decides to be like, we told you the status quo was changing. We just didn't tell you it was with murder. And it really, it feels like the volume where the consequences of people's actions come back. Like, if if the Will hadn't just willy-nilly killed a, a guard on Sextillion, Ayante mm-hmm. wouldn't have been a part of his life. Oh. If Marco hadn't been violent at the end of arc one, he wouldn't have sent the Will on this death mission. The Prince Robot, if he hadn't killed the stock, he'd like everyone would be alive if they had not been violent mm-hmm. at the beginning of this book. The book has been telling us the whole time violence has consequences. And we just keep not having consequences. And then volume nine is like every character here is being punished because of their moral shortcomings. And mm-hmm. that sucks. That is not a death for shock value. Mm-hmm random Twitter user that pissed me off this week. <laughs> that was, took that personal. <laughs> it, it's not. It is consequences of actions. It is a major story beat that is going to solidify the message of a midnight smoke, which I've learned this like nine times, but I've learned it again. So you guys like, Saga is a midnight smoke. It is the book about the couple that does nothing and it's a magic book. Like, saga is inside of Saga. Like the message that violence has consequences is reiterated here, and the characters get to decide what they're going to do with that moving forward. Beautiful halfway point of the story. Beautiful. It felt like a good like season finale, you know, like everything that's happened so far has led to this, and it's just the end. I remember when I finished the end of it the first time, you told me everything about how all these actions had consequences. I thought that was just the most amazing through line it's just i love it when stories actually follow through on things like that they actually see their themes to completion i think that's why a lot of indie books stand out as compared to a lot of like you know editorially mandated cape shit even though i love my editorially mandated cape shit i love seeing the craft behind books like this and it's just unreal how how much they've managed to accomplish. I'm so glad we finally got to the point where we can actually talk about that on the podcast because that's just so mind-blowing, mind-blowingly cool to me. Yeah, they're really good at tying everything up in a nice little bow for you. Like, <laughs> a bloodstained bow? <laughs> yeah. Well, when Brian K. Vaughn said that he knows the last page of Saga, issue mm-hmm. 54 says like, oh, he's serious. Like he really does have this whole, at least loose, like, there's deviations in the middle. There are story arcs, but like the big moments of the story are already written, and that's that's cool. That you can foreshadow, you can build. You like he's not finding it along the way. 
There are some authors that are transphobic British women that tell you they have the whole thing mapped out, <laughs> but they clearly didn't. And it's nothing but fr frustrating to be like, you didn't. Stop lying. You did not have this whole thing planned. I cared about diversity the whole time. Well, it's even just like, you did not invent Horcruxes in the first book. You're lying. Mm -hmm. You're lying through your teeth. Yeah. Idiot, bro. Idiot. Just tell us you didn't. It's okay. And But when Brian K. Vaughn is like, I had the whole thing planned, you're like, oh, see, you're right. You, you do. And it's clear because it foreshadows the crap out of it the whole way through. And I'm so excited for the issue 108. Like, you told me the whole time. You told me the whole time. And here I was. You know, like, Mm -hmm. Marco's death feels like it comes out of left field, but no, it doesn't. The book told you over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. From the very end of issue one, in the mm -hmm. words that get repeated at the end of this. Yep. Oh, it hurts. It hurts in a good way. It hurts good. Sunstone. Anyways. Um, <laughs> you beat me too. That's a, topic. a joke. <laughs> that's a topic for next month. What Alexis, what do you think of volume nine? Oh, I feel like it's just, I don't know. I feel like volume nine reminds me of like a really, really pretty flower that's poisonous if you touch it. Funny, nice to look at with this little sandy beaches, but as soon as you look too close into it, you're going to die. <laughs> dead. Instantly dead. Can we talk about how graphic the deaths were? Oh, like that's that's one thing I've Prince always liked. Robot. Yeah, that's one thing I've always liked about Saga is that like violence is ugly. It's not cool. It's not badass. But like Prince Robot, after they tell us that the inbred royalty have weak necks, like twenty issues ago. Whoa. Okay. I forgot about that. I definitely forgot Remember about that, that too. Remember that? Like twenty issues ago, they told us like the the royals have like weak necks tears his head off it's banana pants well it's all those damn push-ups <laughs> should have done some neck ups right i don't know how people work out their necks <laughs> yeah just roll your head over and over again that's fine it's good it's <sighs> fine yeah it's just because the will got all shredded again it's the only reason I, I, I like that. I like the image of like him back in shape and his like his dangling, just chilling there. Yeah, like, freaking. I also have to be naked for Iantha. The man's life. The will the is first, like trauma incarnate. <laughs> will is trauma incarnate. Everything bad happens to the will. It's true. Like we even get like a little bit of his backstory about why he became a freelancer, and you're like, that's uncle. Yeah, like, you want to be, like, your badass uncle that saved you and your sister from a bad situation. Like, I feel like it makes can't be sister bad. story even cooler, too. She's a baddie. She's bad. I miss the brand. Miss I really miss the brand. She got done dirty. She did. So she did, but, like, again, it doesn't feel like fridging. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, say, technically, that one might be the closest, because her death does push a male character forward, but that's besides the point i i think, I think she's I think a minor stock, enough character the stock was fridged but mm. yeah <sighs> love fridges if oh, i'm gonna open up a fridge shop right next to the headquarters of image comics and dc comics and marvel comics 
all <laughs> just i'm not gonna sell a single damn fridge but i'll be like yeah it was worth it for the joke i'll help you i'll run thank on. you <laughs> they're like who the hell is this bitch <laughs> uh... just, we'll call it women and refrigerators Dallas <laughs> <laughs> is invited perfect this is my new plan Oh, That's also the freaking image, Dallas, that you posted on your Twitter of Alana reading the book that Marco wrote. Yeah. That was that was ch- that made me chuckle. It is Sunstone. <laughs> he wrote Sunstone. Or no, not yes, Sunstone. Yeah, yeah. Marco yeah. wrote Sunstone. Oh, it's canon. Oh, okay. I just I'm like, I love the fact that our favorite characters in our favorite books are writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're pretty transparent, man. Yeah. We are pretty <laughs> transparent people. Oh, all right. Do we have any? Do we have any serious thoughts, thoughts about Volume Nine? Like, um, it's brutal. It's yeah. it's the end. The coda on this half. I feel so bad. I'm I'm scared to see where Petricor is because I hope that this doesn't like embitter her. <sighs> She's gonna be a single mom who works too hard. I'll tell oh you my god! Nine too far. Because <laughs> I'm so glad you got that. I'm, I'm thinking back to it. One of the main things that she's like, I'm going with him because she's really like, they have a potion that can change my entire body. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's relatable. That's yeah, a mood. I, am I like terrible to know like what she looks? I hope that's like the first thing in 55. Like, <laughs> mm, baddie. <laughs> What's your new fit? Show me, yeah, please. exactly. Let me look. Let me have a look. Do a little twirl. Oh, I'm just. That's that. It's so you know, true. Alana I'm, and Petricor are gonna be two single mommies in their rocket I, ship. I hope so. We'll, we'll get more into those predictions in a second. I'm looking at um the cover for 53, and it's just the the Will's gauntlet covered in blood. Mm. And yeah, that final issue is a blink and you miss it issue, but it's so heavy. I feel like that issue is over in a second, but it's only like two characters the whole time, basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm- what's tragic about it is like, it's because the book punishes Marco for being halfway. Mm-hmm. Like the whole Marco's whole arc has been that like, he's trying to be good, but like he relapses into that. And even, like get to see like a little snippet of it again when he blames himself for Alana's miscarriage as well. He's like, it's because I did mm-hmm. that. It's because I was violent. Like, and it just is so sad. It just keeps coming back. And then like in the end, it actually is because of that, which is so sad. It's also because he wouldn't be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he got there because he was violent, but then he dies because he won't be. Mm-hmm. He decides mm-hmm. to be merciful. He decides to let the will live. And big mistake. That, that kills him. Like, do you think he made the right decision? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I know I he thinks he made the right one. Because <laughs> it, it comes down to like the, the question of morals versus how much we want him to be with his family, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is like, the what better... Are to sacrifice? Yeah. Are you going to sacrifice your body or your spirit? And he chose his body. <laughs> Yeesh. Uh, hurts. Yeesh. Hits you right here, you know, right in your chest. Right in that bloody hole in the middle of your chest. And it's such a silent death, too, because it's just him staring off, and then the next page, hand through the the chest. Mm 
Mortal Kombat Fatality. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. It's rough. It hurts. Wait, what's the more brutal send off? The all black six pages or the last page? We don't get to see. No one but us, the reader, knows mm-hmm. that he's dead yet. I think that one. <sighs> Nobody but us knows. I think that one because he's such a major character and because of the hiatus that followed. Yeah, I'm scared for how Elena is going to react. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. I, I am think... so curious <laughs> about the structure of next volume. <laughs> to get into that, though, do you want to go into our viewer question from this week? Yeah. Do you want to read it off? Absolutely. Give me just one second. Our one question comes from Glenn Machette this week. Thanks, Glenn. And it reads... Hi, gang. When Saga returns, will you pick it up in singles? And do you think that those who came to Saga and Collections during the hiatus will find it difficult to go monthly with it? Yes. Yeah. That's... I'm already bitter. <laughs> That's I'm, the deciding thing I'm, if I'm, yeah. let... I'm deciding if I'm going to let them pile up or if I'm going to read them. Um, we know I feel like, good. yeah, I feel like you have to read them, especially as involved as we are in like the comics end of Twitter. It's we gotta it's either we read it or it's gonna get spoiled for us. It's mm-hmm. it's do or die. And I am so be excited. Hard. I'm so excited mm-hmm. for the letters to come back. The if you've never been a part of the letter page of Saga, it has the best letters page in comics. Really? You he doesn't accept emails. You actually have to write a physical letter to a physical <laughs> address. Love and that. It's so, it's the only letters page I care about in comics, frankly. Oh, I love that. We'll have to send one in. We should send one in as the Comics Collective. We should. I'm we down should. For it. I'm down for that too. I, I do think people are going to have a hard time going to monthly. You don't realize how skinny these issues are until you just have to read one. You're like, I read that in seven minutes, Brian. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to wait another <laughs> month for seven more minutes, Brian comes out monthly yeah monthly one get 25 pages a month (laughs) it's it's you know it's it's quality so it's worth the wait but this does feel like something that would be much better like weekly because it's like i need to know the next thing now because going back to that last issue it literally starts with them fighting each other they get in a ship the ship gets to space and the issue's over it it takes place in probably like a not even like a five minute time span you know it's so fast it's yeah so it's gonna be difficult See, this is why i don't actually read comics normally because i don't have any <laughs> patience you're probably you're the smartest person here let's be honest <laughs> it's true i just use dallas's accounts for everything i don't pay for anything <laughs> it's, true. it's all gonna be there for you love it i'm i'm getting them but what predictions do we have for next volume? Because I think the volume is going to be set up in like a current timeline, flashback timeline, like he did in Ex Machina. He he really loved that structure in Ex Machina, where you just flash back to get context on how people are acting, you know? So I feel like the issue will pick up three years later with Alana and Hazel, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, Hazel ages in real time. So Hazel will be 10 when we see her again this time. And Alana will be 29 instead of 19. And I think the story will follow them. And then I think we'll get a flashback to that day on the beach. 
and then I think we'll see Squire, and then we'll get a flashback to that day on the beach. And then I think the next issue, we'll, we'll see the Will, and we'll get a flashback to that day on the beach. And then I think the last three issues of the arc will just be current timeline. That's interesting. I'm not sure if we'll get flashbacks at all, though. I think he's done it a couple times in the series where we've gotten to see the past. But I feel like after the hiatus we had, I think he's going to want to play up that mystery a little bit more. I think this issue is going to be solely where are Alana and Hazel now. I think it's going to focus on them. I don't think we're going to get anything about Squire or Petricor, um, you know, Goose for a good while. I don't think, I think the main focus here is just going to be getting us reintroduced to our main two characters and just what their life has been since. I hope we don't get the recap pages again. He's done it like three times in the series where he's like, for anyone that doesn't know, this is where we're at in the series. I'm like, Brian, Brian, they're going to go back to issue one. This isn't superhero comics. Like no one's jumping in at issue 26 of Saga. Like they're going to go read number one. Quit doing this, Brian. It's true. (sighs) Where do you think they're going to know that Marco's gone when the story starts? What if they just think that he left them? For three years? that That's that, the question for that me. That is so mean. I didn't even think that was an option. <laughs> I, I honestly happened. think they're going to know. Mm-hmm. It has happened. <laughs> I don't know why I just... It literally... That just popped into my mind. Just now. Because he was in space. They're not going to find his body. I don't think they're going to think he left them like intentionally. I think it's going to be like, he's gone missing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, yeah. Where okay. Is he? Where is he? We don't know. But holding on to that hope for three years, that's going to, she would. Yeah. What do we think of that koala guy on the cover of issue one standing where my King once stood? I think if that's a boyfriend, I'm going to scream. I'm not calling him dad. I exactly. <laughs> His name is Kyle. He is not dead. <laughs> you, oh. Kyle Koala. I refuse to like that koala-eared guy. Stand, daring to stand where Marco stood. Where my favorite think... fictional character stood. Alana and Petricor should just be moms. Yeah. Exactly. Let's, let's be... put those two together. <laughs> okay. Stand on the porch okay. like a Civil War widow, Alana. Don't find extra love. <laughs> No, I would feel more betrayed. Shot off. Exactly. Yeah, she sons one wing. She has yeah. blonde hair now. I hate it. Forget about it. I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you're here for the blonde. Space blonde. Oh, I honestly would be more space, upset space if Alana. Blonde. She's a space blonde now. Oh, now I can it like is? Saga. <laughs> Saga is a good book, actually. I like Saga. Uh, I would feel more betrayed if Alana was dating someone new than if my wife was dating someone new after I died. <laughs> if I die and Addison goes and finds love, I'll be like, good for you. I'm so happy for you. I love you. If Alana finds extra love, I'm going to be so mad. I'll be like, you traitors. all collectively stop reading. But, but Brian will make me fall in reading. love with whoever it is. Oh, Do you think you're going to love Koala Kyle? Nope. Koala, I'm not calling him dad. That is very funny, Anne. That is very funny. I didn't expect you to. You're like 25. (laughs) (sighs) 
Brutal. He's... Brutal, bruv. Brutal. We should do like a mini episode Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> no, no mini, way. We're going to let it know, pile up. I was say, you know, Dallas is still going to talk about one issue for 40 minutes. So it's true. He could. Mini-ish. Definitely could. Maybe another two hours. I am a chatty son of a bitch. He loves to talk about color theory. So I'm sure we could get him going. I did it one time. <laughs> did you? I posted today the difference that 10 years makes just in like Fiona's artwork. The difference oh, between the, the, the opening page for issue one. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so cool. She's come a long ways. I'm so excited to see where the series goes. Do you think it's going to go on for another 10 years? I, hope. I don't know. I know it goes till issue 108. He said that it's 108 issues long. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He has said exactly yeah. like how long? Yep. Okay. That's this is a halfway point? Yep. Issue 54 was halfway point. It's going to be two compendiums. Wow. Uh, I don't know if that'll be another 10 years. If it'll probably. Honestly, probably. I don't think we'll have another three-year break, but maybe that's just me being optimistic. It always goes on a six-month break. It's six months on, six months off, or mm-hmm. six months on and then longer off. So, I like that. It's worked for them, so I'm I'm happy to let it ride. <laughs> it has. I I want something I can read for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. not something that has like rushed or icky chapters. And mm-hmm. so, take their time. I don't care. I'm here. I'll read it until it's over. Uh, could be the most bingeable comic of all time. Could beat mm-hmm. out Invincible because Invincible has some icky parts in the middle. So if it can avoid icky parts, then we're good. True. True. Anything else before we wrap things up? Does anyone have any comments about anything we haven't talked about yet? Because I'm still debating if I want to keep the Owl Sheriff as a pet or Goose. I think they're both adorable. I mean... Alexis is muted, but when Alexis was calling that little owl sheriff a boy, I firmly disagree. I think the owl sheriff is a girl, and I have no reason to believe that other than I was like, that's a little lady. Look at her. She a woman sheriff. So I just want to point out that I have less internalized misogyny than Alexis. Um, my, what? My wife was rolling her eyes in the background. I said that specifically Madison, to you. Thank you. I said that specifically I- to get a reaction. Okay, well, if we're doing that, I will throw out um, my vote for the end by cowboy. That's that's my Al Sheriff. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, oh, I do. I have one thing to say. A mm-hmm. plug for not even friends of the pod, just a podcast I love. The podcast Horns and Wings from Jonathan mm-hmm. Rose Lion and Polyphonic is amazing. It's an issue by issue saga podcast that. Makes me very happy. And in classic Saga fashion, they have gone on hiatus for a very long time <laughs> after their coverage of issue 37. Basically, the pan- you can tell the pandemic hit them. And fair, honestly. And But they're coming back. This, oh, okay. So when you're listening to this, yesterday, issue episode 38 dropped. And they have promised that it's week to week until they're all caught up on Saga. That's so, awesome. If you like our show, go listen to their show. Go tell them that you came from our show. And then maybe they'll come on here to our show. You never know. <laughs> It'll be fun. But podcast I'm very community. excited about that. I love podcasts. I make a podcast because I love podcasts. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's about all I have to say. Saga, good. I like Saga. I do love Pretty Saga. Pretty colors. 
would would we say Saga is one of our favorite books we've covered on the show? Or is yes. it just my personal favorite? I think so. I always enjoy the conversations we have. I love seeing your enthusiasm for it. You make it one of the best comics we talk about on here. So I'm mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. I love this book. I gotta uh, bring half the energy. At least half the energy when I talk about my favorite horny book next month. So, yeah. You've set the bar pretty high. Yeah. And so with that, let's go into our end credits and we'll introduce the next month lineup for February. Oh my God. Yes. She has thickums. She thick. She thickums. She uh, thicky. Alexis. Find it. For you. What? Go ahead and do the end credits. You're the first person to talk at the end. (laughs) Oh, I forgot that's what we were doing. Okay. I was reading next month's lineup. Damn it. (laughs) We've been doing this. For like a year. I don't get paid enough to be here. How are we so bad at this? As long as I get paid, I will pay attention. Yeah. She was off for a week. Yeah, I was in Disneyland. My brain fell out the ear, okay? All right, everyone. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout this week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at at Dallas Comics, at Ann Comics, and at LexiLou underscore comics. I'm actually protesting because you know, <laughs> if you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening and give us a five star review and we will read it off on the show. We have none. Do it. Leave us some so we can read them. <laughs> and finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at comicscollective at gmail.com. We will oh, see damn you. Oh, I missed my next one. <laughs> We will see you next month with, drumroll please, the double release next Wednesday. Two episodes are coming out next Wednesday. Full episode with the art team behind the wonderful Crowded Volumes 1 and 2 to help. We're part of the press tour for Volume 3 of the series that's coming out in two weeks. You're going to love it. Crowded is so good. So... We're talking with the art team for Crowded, and we are doing Tilly Walden's On a Sunbeam. Ah, it's the best book. In the world. <laughs> and you know what the best part about On a, Sun- On a Sunbeam is? Hmm. It's free. You can <gasps> read it for free. Y'all's dorks got no reason not to read it. It is free. Those ones like to play me. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, Alexis, don't pay $30 for this free book, idiot. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Did we ever talk about that on here? I don't think we, we did. We did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Idiot. On the Friday episode, no one listened to. I, I, I like to listen think... to Friday, folks. It was a good episode. I like to think it was generous. So good job, Lexi, being generous. I couldn't pay a dollar. Following week one coverage, <laughs> double episode, double trouble. Week two of February, we are doing Sex Criminals with. Brad and Lisa Gullickson from the comic book Couple Counseling Podcast. They're the best. And they're coming to talk about sex criminals with us. Low-key mega excited. After that, we are finally covering Alexis's. Alexis has taken the reins of the next big read-through. And we're starting Bone Volumes 1 through 3. I'm so excited. So it'll be a little break in the horny of February. (laughs) Hey, it's February. But don't worry. We're coming back extra hard, pun intended. The next week with 
Sunstone, volumes one through five. Ooh, finally doing time. it. We're finally covering Anne's favorite comic. I get to, yeah, I get to, <laughs> to talk so much about this one. This is such an experience. This is a comic I've had a long relationship with, as Dallas has with Saga. And I realized that yesterday. It's insane. Ten-year-old book just keeps getting better as it goes on. It's going to be so wholesome. And, yeah, I'm very excited. It's going to be a killer month. So make sure to tune in. Write in your questions. You can even get ahead. We told you the whole monthly schedule. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of us are leaving. So I don't think the schedule is going to change. <laughs> Can't speak. Alexa's making so. a face. I will end her. <laughs> no one's going to Disney World this time, right? Not until at least June. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Oh. But that is our schedule for February. We'll be back next week to talk about Crowded, Volumes 1 and 2, and On a Sunbeam, both releasing the same day. So, double trouble. It's going to be so cool. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.